Over the last several weeks, we have been looking at 1 Corinthians and uh, been looking uh, from chapters 11 on to now 14, where we're dealing with this, this idea of, of worship, of a focused worship. And, and as we do that, we've been seeing Paul talk to the Corinthian church about different things, different ways that, that worship is being distracted, that, that they're being pulled in several different ways. To where last week we came to, to chapter 13 where we talked about love, this, this central element in worship, that we're loving God more than anyone else. That as uh, we love Him, we're able to do that because we're first loved by Him. And that that love then empowers us to be able to love one another, to put each other's needs ahead of our own. So today we're going to look at chapter 14 where Paul kind of rounds out his argument here. And it's, it's a long chapter. We don't have much time, so we're going to kind of breeze through it. But I want to make sure that we read the whole thing. So starting in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, starting with verse 1, Paul says, Pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. For one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men, but to God. For no one understands him, but he utters mysteries in the Spirit. On the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks to the people for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. The one who speaks in a tongue builds up himself, but the one who prophesies builds up the church. Now I want you all to speak in tongues, but even more to prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues, unless someone interprets, so that the church may be built up. Now brothers, if I come to you speaking in tongues... How will I benefit you unless I bring you some revelation or knowledge or prophecy or teaching? If even lifeless instruments such as the flute or the harp do not give distinct notes, how will anyone know what is played? And if the bugle does not if the bugle gives an indistinct sound, who will get ready for battle? So with yourselves, if you, with your tongue you utter speech that is not intelligible, how will anyone know what is said? For you'll be speaking into the air. There are doubtless many different languages in the world, and none is without meaning. But if I do not know the meaning of the language, I will be a foreigner to the speaker, and the speaker a foreigner to me. So with yourselves, since you are eager for manifestations of the Spirit, strive to excel in building up the church. Therefore, one who speaks in a tongue should pray that he may interpret. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. What am I to do? I will pray with my spirit, but I will pray with my mind also. I will sing praise with my spirit, but I will sing with my mind also. Otherwise, if you give thanks with your spirit, how can anyone in the position of an outsider say amen to your thanksgiving when he does not know what you're saying? For you may be giving thanks well enough, but the person who is not being, but the other person is not being built up. I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. Nevertheless, in church, I would rather speak five words with my mind in order to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. Brothers, do not be children in your thinking. Be infants in evil, but in your thinking be mature. In the law it is written, by people of strange tongues and the lips of foreigners, I will speak to this people, and even then they will not listen to me, says the Lord. Thus tongues are a sign not for believers, but for unbelievers. While prophecy is a sign, not for unbelievers, but for believers. 
If therefore the whole church comes together and all speak in tongues and outsiders or unbelievers enter, will they not say that you're out of your minds? But if all prophesy and an unbeliever or outsider enters, he is convicted by all. He is called to account by all. The secrets of his heart are disclosed and so falling on his face, he will worship God and declare that God is really among you. What then, brothers? When you come together, each one has a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. Let all things be done for building up. If any speak in a tongue, let there be only two or three at most, and each in turn, and let someone interpret. But if there is no one to interpret, let each of them keep silent in the church and, keep, and speak to himself and to God. Let two or three prophets speak, and let the others weigh what is said. If a revelation is made to another sitting there, let the first be silent, for you can, all pro you can all prophesy one by one so that all may learn and all be encouraged, and the spirits of prophets are subject to prophets, for God is not a God of confusion, but of peace. As in all the churches of the saints, the women should keep silent in the church, for they are not permitted to speak, but should be in submission, as the law also says. If there is anything they desire to learn, let them ask their husbands at home, for it is shameful for a woman to speak in church. Or was it from you that the word of God came? Or are you the only ones it has reached? If anyone thinks he is a prophet or spiritual, he should acknowledge that the things I am writing to you are a command of the Lord. If anyone does not, does not recognize this, he is not recognized. So my brothers earnestly desire to prophesy and do not forbid speaking in tongues, but all things should be done decently and in order. Told you, there's a lot there. <coughs> Let's start by just taking kind of a visual look at what Paul has been doing as he's talking through this concept of worship. That clear back in, in chapter 11, Paul started talking about it. And he talked about men and women as, as they're leading in worship. And we went through the whole question of, of the veils, the head coverings, and, and how men and women are, are to be distinct from one another as they're leading in worship so that they're not a distraction to those who are gathered to worship, right? From there, Paul went on and, and looked at the Lord's Supper, like having order in the service talking about how as people were gathering together for, to take the Lord's Supper, they weren't waiting on each other. They weren't caring for each other. They were just kind of going about it their own way, and, and some were being totally left behind while others were just gorging themselves. And there was not this mutual care for one another. He then went on to start talking about spiritual gifts, the way God has gifted His people in His church, and, and how those spiritual gifts are to be used to build up one another for the, the unification of the body of Christ. To where last week we came to that passage on love. That, that this is the motivating factor. This is the thing that fills us. As we're talking about worship, as we're looking for order in worship, as we're caring for one another, as we are uh, seeking to, to lay down our own freedoms even so that we don't distract and detract from one another. It's all to be done and rooted in love. Here in chapter 14, Paul kind of reworks all these things that he's been talking about. 
to, to where you see the whole thing kind of comes in and focuses right there in the middle on love. And now in chapter 14, Paul is looking at this outworking of love. Where first he starts talking about the gifts again, talking about prophecy and, and tongues. And how they're to be used for building up the body. As we look at that, Paul, Paul is talking and saying that he desires that everyone pursue Love, he starts the whole thing out. Pursue love, earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. He speaks to tongues and to prophecy and, and kind of puts them in, in their places and, and asks the church to look at how these things are being used. As much as he's been talking about tongues, it seems like that might have been a, a big thing that was happening in the church in Corinth. Here where we're at, we, we don't really see that, those kinds of charismatic gifts happening right around us that often. But there are many places that they are being practiced. And so the question is, and, and how does that work? Paul isn't here against speaking in tongues. He isn't calling for that to cease. But he's saying when it happens... This is something private. This is something uh, where he says the person is speaking to himself and to God. If he's speaking in a tongue that is unintelligible, that we don't understand, he has said there that, that those who hear will be foreigners to the speaker and the speaker to himself. If you've been in a place that you've heard where somebody just starts speaking in tongues, you, there, there can be some sort of Discomfort to it, not understanding what's happening. Paul doesn't tell them to stop, but he says, for that to be used well, we should see an interpreter. Because otherwise, how is anybody else going to be built up from it? Paul says that he himself speaks in tongues, but, but says that he would prefer to speak five intelligible words for the instruction of the body of Christ than 10,000 words in a tongue that nobody understands. You see, prophecy, he says, convicts us. Prophecy helps to build people up. And so rather than, than saying that's the only thing, Paul has already said that, that each person is gifted in specific ways for specific ministries by the same God. And so Paul says, use those gifts well. He describes this, this thing that might even sound like a clamor happening in the church. Where if somebody were to walk into the Corinthian church, they, they would hear all these different tongues being spoken and, and nobody quite understands. And maybe there are all, all these prophecies happening, but they're all kind of happening at the same time. And Paul says, whoa, whoa, whoa. Use your gifts wisely. That brings us to that second part where he talks about order and worship. Looking at verse 26. He says, there can be all these different kinds of tongues, and if there are, that's great. We'd love to see an interpreter so that we can see that happen. I, I've heard stories of, of that kind of thing being done. There, there would be a, a mission 
team that goes to Mexico and is doing some work and they're in a service and one of the people on the mission team stands up and starts speaking. They don't know Spanish, but they're speaking Spanish. And people in the congregation are being convicted by it. That's one form of tongues where an interpreter was built right in. Other times, as Paul's looking at this, it, it is some sort of specific private prayer language between the person and God, and I don't understand how that works. But I think God is big enough that he can do that if he wants to. But Paul's saying for that to build up the body, for that to unite us and bring us together, we need to be able to have that understanding. And so also with the prophecy, he says, look, if we have several ones, it, it seems that it wasn't just a pastor standing up front delivering a message, but that different people in the congregation are saying, the Lord has told me this. And so he's saying, take turns. Do it in an orderly fashion. Don't fight for your place to speak. Wait and speak. And then he says, that the spirit of prophets are subject to prophets. He says, as somebody speaks, then consider it. Work it out. See what's going on there. It could very easily become the type of thing where one person is, is delivering a so-called message from the Lord that might be a personal vendetta. And so then another person thinks that they're going to stand up and deliver another message from the Lord. And, and people end up actually just fighting within the church, preceding their fighting words with, well, God told me. Paul's saying, let's bring it back to what we're looking at. The, the central point of all this is love. Love for God first, love for one another. So as we submit ourselves to Him, as we submit our gifts to Him, as we submit the words that come out of our mouths to Him, let them be done in an orderly fashion. As we come together, as we share, as, as we seek God together. Then Paul comes in and speaks to women and men who are worshiping together. And this is where he, he says that women should keep silent in the churches for they're not permitted to speak, but should be in submission as the law also says. And, and there, right away, might have been several women who said, say, what? And several men who either kind of inched away or turned and said, yeah. But is that the kind of thing that Paul's saying here? Because remember, we have to put this in context. And if we put this even in its immediate context, Paul has just said back in chapter 11 that, that women who are leading in worship should do so with their heads covered so as not to distract. Paul, who, who walked around many cities who worked side by side with men and women teaching. We think of Priscilla and Aquila, a married couple who is, he said trained up Apollos. A man and a woman together training this man who's going out and preaching. 
Paul also speaks in several other letters about deacons and deaconesses in the church, those who are leading the church, who are men and women together. So either Paul just went really schizophrenic there for a minute and in the space of, of a page or two totally changed his mind or we need to see that something else is happening here. Think about that, that situation that we described a little bit ago about coming into the Corinthian church and there are all these different kinds of tongues being spoken at, at different places just kind of overlapping one another and there are all these different prophecies that are happening uh, competing against one another and there's just this clamor of sound. See, Paul doesn't just tell the women to be silent, does he? We've seen it three times. Talking to those who are speaking in tongues, he says, if there's no interpreter, keep silent. Let your prayer be between you and God so that the body can be built up. As he's talking to the prophets, those who are bringing a word from God, he says, let two or three talk and, and, and then think about it, work through it. And, and if not, if, if that can't be the way you do it, then just keep quiet, keep silent. So that people can hear from the one who's speaking. And so for the third time in this section, Paul says to somebody to keep silent. It's just the one that kind of grates against us the most. Here, I don't think he's telling the women they can't say anything. They have to just sit there and be quiet. What we see here is, is a culture where education is in various levels. And education, even to the point of speaking the language, Corinth was a crossroads. There were all kinds of languages being spoken there, and Greek would have probably been the, the trade language. And so the men who are working have to at least know enough to get by. Women who might have more often been at home may not speak very much Greek at all. The kind of thing we, we might be seeing here is women who are just saying, I don't quite understand what's happening there. And as we, as we don't understand, it's natural to just kind of lean over. What, what was that? What, what's going on there? I don't, I don't quite get it. Explain it to me. And then somebody explains it back. And if... if 50% of the congregation is all doing that at once, then there's a commotion, right? Then there's this idea that we can't hear what's happening and the body is again not being built up. Paul isn't telling him to just sit there and be quiet and, and not say anything. We already know from just a few chapters ago that some women are actually leading in worship. But he's saying the, the kind of idle chatter that can happen or, or the kind of, of just side conversations. He says, let that be curbed. Go ahead and, and submit your desires to, to strike up another conversation because you're not following this one anyway. He says, curb that, silence that for the sake of your brothers and sisters around you, for the building up of God's people.
in whatever way it's happening. Whether through the exercise of, of the spiritual gifts, whether it's just the, the ways that everything is going or, or even side conversations and, and different things like that. Paul is, is encouraging the church to consider what it is to build one another up. To unite together. To, to surrender sometimes our own desires to say we want those around us to know Jesus better. And that's something that doesn't just go for speaking in tongues or prophesying. It doesn't just go for carrying on side conversations. For our church right now, even talking about screens is, is a question that says, how are we building one another up? You know, how can we come together to glorify God that people may know Him? So as you use your gifts, as you use your words, as we use our actions, as you even take these cards and, and pray about where you're handing those out. We're looking to set aside our own comforts, to set aside sometimes our, our own desires or vendettas to say we want Jesus to be known. We want his name to be heard clearly above all others. Jesus, we thank you. We thank you that you are not a God of confusion, but a God of peace. And God, sometimes that's not easy to see. Sometimes we don't understand. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the way you speak to us through it. God, we pray that we will submit ourselves to you, that we could know you better that we could love you more fully, that we could love those around us as we love ourselves. God, we pray this in Jesus' name.